0: Welcome to Kentucky Horsepower, the official podcast of the Kentucky Automobile Dealers Association. One Good morning. This is Jason Wilson here, president of Kentucky Auto Dealers Association. And you are joining the official podcast of KDA, Kentucky Horsepower. And with me today is a uh, familiar face and one that I've talked to through the years numerous times in this venue is Kevin Tynan uh, of Bloomberg News. He is their automotive analyst guru and keeps up on all things automotive. Uh, Kevin thank you for joining us I know that's not your official title but at this point you know with our members and our friends you are the automotive gurus so welcome uh, welcome and appreciate you joining us. Thank you it's always great to join. So what's unique with this that you're not aware of is you're you are part of our district meetings that we're doing so this will be seen in Lexington it will be seen in Louisville it will be seen in Uh, paducah and bowling Green, so you're going to see all of our members in each of these district meetings and being that there's you know not much going on in automotive i figured we'd (laughs) spend a few minutes just talking about what is happening and uh, spend some time with that so uh, again appreciate you being here and with that we'll just dive right into it um inventory continues to be of course the huge story i I talked to one of my dealers literally this morning who at this time normally has a uh, throughout their stores has a thousand vehicles new and used has a hundred, right? So that gives you a sense of, of what's out there. And uh, so depending on who you speak to, where you read, you're hearing all sorts of different uh, timeframes as when the th- things get back to normal and that's open to interpretation what is normal right now. Um, but would like to get your take and what you all are seeing at Bloomberg from, a, from that standpoint, as far as when this can get back to a more normal flow of inventory.
1: Right. And you know what, Jason, I would say that, let me start with that. I, I'm not sure there is a, a, a normal, right? right? And what I mean is, from March of 2020, when factories were shut due to the pandemic, and then through this chip shortage really limiting supply, there's been this realignment of Of cost structures, but also of the supply and demand balance, which I think has been very eye opening to automakers and to retailers as well. So, for example, if I take Ford or General Motors or the Stellantis domestic brands, typically you know that was around high 70 80 days supply of inventory and as you know you know most most manufacturers on the ground are looking for about 55 to 65 days somewhere around 60 so they they historically ran way higher than that ford on their most recent conference call talked about you know uh, an order you yeah. know an an order book and basically saying you know we're going to we're going to we're going to cut that back to 50 to 60 days of supply on the ground you know, the high volume stuff, the F series, explore right. things like that, maybe we'll stock a little bit more of, but for the most part, we plan to run way tighter in the future than what we've done historically. And it's billions of dollars in terms of revenue and inventory value on the ground, carrying costs and all those other things that, that kind of go away. So what I've been saying is that this period, you know, of nothing really going on for the past two years, um, has done more for realigning cost structures of the manufacturers, the, the the structural outlook in terms of how much inventory, what including what you're gonna build, including that mix truck versus car, which we talk about all the time, that this has been more dynamic of a period than the bankruptcy period was in 2008, 2009, where, you know, that was, that was uh, an amazing period where a lot of things got realigned and rationalized. This is even more dramatic than that, I would say.
0: Wow. When you put it in that, in those terms, um, it really gives pause and something for everyone to think about. So as we continue down this path, is this the new normal or the, uh, you, you know, realigning, I, I guess, is sort of what you mentioned as far as a different way to look at it. Um, and, and, But in the short term, what we're dealing with right now, any sense on where that will, when that will improve or get better?
1: Right, yeah. So there is structural change. and And, you know, if I look at the overall industry at the beginning of October, I think inventory was about 60% less than it was the year ago at the same time. And we were just getting ramped up into, COVID and the pandemic at that time. So inventory wasn't sold off yet, uh, but we're still way below that. Um, So what I would say is there's there is a new normal. It's not going to be what it was, but it's not going to be what it is right now. So as you know, and you'll hear different things from different manufacturers. You know, this persists into 22 through 22, maybe mid year, third quarter. We start to feel things be And I I wouldn't even use the word normal, I would say a little bit more controllable right where it's actually not the supply shortage that's determining the the, uh, level of inventory, but it's actually the manufacturers and their retail channel that's kind of saying like, okay, we're comfortable being here because keep this in mind, uh, Jason, like as we talk about data. Historically. And then what we do is we track transaction prices and av- and typically equipped MSRP. So you know the, the sticker price of everything that's sold versus what it actually sold for. That number is usually about six percent in the industry historically, going back you know twenty years. Um, it's less than one percent now. You know, so what used to be a consumer walking into the dealership and seeing basically twenty five hundred dollars off the sticker price immediately is now $250 and it's a, and it's a big deal. And and the automakers and the retailers see that and go like, okay, so there's obviously an issue with supply demand balance, but it's not all bad, right? We're getting pricing way firmer incentives. If they used to be from the factory, 10% of the transaction price are closer to five, right? So it's a little bit of doing more with less in terms of transaction prices, in terms of not having to discount or incentivize transactions. Um, But at the same time, you know, we don't want 12 days of of supply on the ground either, right? So there's going to be a happy medium in there. And I would say you're probably looking at the middle of 22 before that is under the manufacturers and retailers control again at at the earliest, at the earliest.
0: Yeah. And look, and to your point, we go back just a few years ago, and especially as it relates to new cars, dealers literally uh, were giving vehicles away just to move the product and uh, look to get that customer into the fold and work with the fixed ops and their service and parts and those sort of things, which brings me to parts. Um, You know, there's also delays now in in parts that we have not seen uh, before. Um, Similar issues, obviously, in that respect. Thoughts on that as far as parts supplies, Uh, because fixed ops, as you know, is a huge part of, um, you know, the, the dealer business model.
1: Yeah, that really hurts. And that's something we've been talking about a lot, which is, you know, the, the, improving health when you think of all things considered as we get out of this transition and a better understanding of the cost structure and the supply-demand balance and where that works better. you know. But when you look at gross margin contribution on a dollar-for-dollar basis, there's nothing better than parts counters and service bays. Right. So that, that really hurts, that hits in the pocketbook. And I have friends around the office coming to me, oh, you know, my Mustang. You know i got two weeks before they'll even look at it they can't yeah. get parts on what they think it is so yeah i mean it's real on the ground um and that's really the painful thing right so that's that's what tells you that it's real right it's not right. just a, a uh orchestrated shortage that says like hey we would just want to be in better de- demand balance supply demand balance you know that there is real issues in the supply chain going forward at the same time and we just published something on this the other day that you know, don't expect the supply chain to really change dramatically either, right? These, the production cycle is long. You know, most automakers are around eight years with a refresh somewhere in the middle there. Um, So despite the shortage of chips, it's not like something, there are some automakers that I won't name that will use maybe chips that are not automotive grade to be able to keep production and, and show growth. But for the most part, it's just not that easy, right? The, the level of quality and durability, you know, those things are done from the drawing board. So you can't just unplug one part and put in another part. It's just not that simple. And I think over time, like I said, I think automakers and manufacturers and retailers are moving towards keeping less stuff, you know, paying, you know, tying up capital in less inventory than they are saying like, Hey, why don't we just stockpile, you know, computer chips, and then there's a shortage in materials, right? right? So you can't really do that. And what I equate it to is is driving the 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 giant SUV year round, waiting for the storm of the century, right? It's just not right. that cost effective right. when you're planning, you know, the whole thing around something that might or might not happen, and you don't know when or how bad it would be anyway. So. Um, you know so it's I don't expect a big change in the supply chain. Right. Uh, I think we're just gonna have to work through it.
0: So this realignment uh well it's gonna be an act uh in progress. We'll can we'll continue to monitor this, but probably sounds like mid-2022 before things kind of ease up a bit. But again, there's variances with that, and there's all kinds of factors where that can uh you know impact that for sure. Yeah. Um, it-
1: yeah. And I would say that that would be the time. And again, it's not normal as we've known. And what I would right. say is that it's actually that the manufacturers with their retail channel actually controlling that balance and doing it much better and are just much more cost efficient and and everything there, it would be before that, that it's actually in their hands again. But, but they're structurally are going to be a little bit more conservative on on pushing stuff into the market
0: sure and as mentioned this realignment isn't necessarily an all bad thing it's been in some ways uh, uh, a very productive year and it's very good year for dealers from that standpoint while i have you last thing i want to just get your thoughts on it seems uh seemingly every week we're, we're getting news regarding ev announcements uh, uh whether that be one of the big legacy brands coming out with these new projections that we're going to be all ev by uh, you know 2035 or 50% EV by in the next
1: hopefully I'll be day, day all the
0: noise out what are you seeing what's your take on that and is this new push for EVs is uh the highest has been since I've been in the industry I've never heard this much buzz about EVs
1: yeah there and it's it's really really interesting and I know everybody uses that phrase all the time because I think I've actually started to think about and I and I've been doing this for years, right? I and and you've seen my presentations um, at, at the conventions and, and I talk about Toyota a lot, where you know they, they're the one manufacturer that hasn't really really committed to the to EV to battery electric and has talked about hydrogen a lot and yeah and and what I'm and I'm and I'm actually really interested in that and why that is and what they see going forward and, and can they be that wrong or are they gonna be that right on on hydrogen. And and it's a really interesting dynamic. And what we're seeing, to your point, is more and more announcements on electrification, but you're starting to see more and more noise on hydrogen. And I think there's a lot of reasons why. And and I'm not saying hydrogen is the answer or it's going to be the emerging technology. What I'm saying is, is that you're going to start to hear manufacturers talk about it a lot more one reason might be if i'm toyota and i don't believe in electrification or as electrification as one option and hydrogen as another option um you're never going to be perceived as the leader right that's that's tesla's bag now right every everybody's also always i hear this all the time Who? when do they catch up to tesla where hydrogen could be, you know, planting your own flag in the ground and saying, look, we're leapfrogging over electrification because we think there's there's restrictions to it going forward um, and compromise to it going forward where, where we can be a leader, again, in drivetrain technology with hydrogen and who's coming with us, right? And then you'll get right. partners and more and more. The other thing is it makes sense. I think we've talked about this a lot, too. I think even for electrification where that technology makes sense in the commercial market as a start. As a starting point where i know my range i know how long it needs to run for where it's going to go you know and when you look at hydrogen buses for example in the government reports they talk about running those things 20 hours a day seven days a week right because that's how you rationalize the cost that's how you amortize the cost over over the the period right that's going to be difficult to do with battery electrics unless we can recharge them as quickly as we can with hydrogen So I think when you talk about battery costs coming down and starting in commercial vehicles, um, you start to get some economies of scale there, cost of materials and manufacturing comes down, and then it makes sense to move it into the passenger vehicle segment. So the kind of way I'm looking at it, Jason, is like, so maybe these next 10 years, and and people talk about hydrogen being 10 years behind electrification. These next 10 years are EV, with development of hydrogen coming as potentially the next technology that makes sense and you know a lot of those asia based automakers say look if if carbon footprint reduction is really the goal right. there's right. not just one technology that's going to do it right there's going to have to be a lot of different ways of going about it for different mobility or transportation segments not one thing is going to make sense for for everyone so Um, I think it's really going to start to get a little bit more interesting, not just so much about electrification, right, you know, but on hydrogen. And let me just say one quick thing about electrification. And, you know, what I've talked about here is that our government, the way we're sort of subsidizing or incentivizing electric vehicles, battery electric vehicles is to subsidize the consumer right give them a federal tax credit uh create charging infrastructure the problem is is that you on the other side of that transaction you have automakers not making any money in that technology right so my argument has been if you're europe or european countries and you say look if you don't do this we're going to penalize you per unit by you know, $100 per unit for every gram that you miss emissions reductions by. That comes out to billions of dollars. The CFO's office goes, we can't we can't do that. Just hit the target. Right. Build the vehicles. We'll deal with it, but we can't pay those fines in the US. If you're subsidizing the consumer and the manufacturer, CFO looks at his spreadsheet and goes, I'm losing ten thousand per unit. Let's not build it yet. right? Right. Let's build it in 2035 or 2030 or whatever. So I think, you know, the difference there is the way the government is for the most part staying out of it. Now, if you said, you know, because my argument is you can give a consumer uh, they're talking about twelve thousand five hundred for a domestically built UAW. I say double it. Give them twenty five thousand dollars. Put a charging point on every corner. But then if you tell the automaker you're losing fifteen thousand per unit, you have no EVs. Right. Right. So you can you can you can incentivize the consumer all you want. Now, if you gave that money to the manufacturer, which, believe me, I don't think will ever happen, and said, hey, look, if you're 15,000 underwater, we'll make you whole or close to whole, right? Then you say, okay, here comes some good EVs, right? right? Stand by, they're coming, you know? So so it's a little bit different timetable here because of the way the governments are or aren't subsidizing or aren't involved in the process. So I think it's coming, but it's more organic in terms of the PL. and here in mm-hmm. in the u.s
0: so tbd in a lot of these things <laughs> and hydrogen part is a really interesting component of it you know you think back in time those of us older old enough uh to remember v, uh vhs beta laser disc right there's different iterations of course now we're we're streaming so yeah. you know this is this will continue to evolve and, and we'll continue to see how this evolves but kevin it's always good to have your voice as a constant as we look and go through these things because i know you and your team keep an eye on this very closely so thank you for joining us at our district meetings here and uh to those uh here we are looking to have kevin at our annual convention next year in Asheville, north carolina and i can tell you that's something you don't want to miss uh dealers love these presentations because kevin really does dive into the numbers so thank you again for your time and uh making our district meetings that much more interesting
1: oh good times thanks jason
0: all right take care